Good morning, Bethel. Man, it's so good to see all of you. Today is a special day in the life of our church. We are having baptisms after our services today. And Pastor Jay will give some more instructions at the end. But I hope all of you will stick around to celebrate um, these, these that are taking this step to publicly identify with what's happened inwardly in their heart. They say, you know what, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I want the rest of the world to know that I am now a follower of Christ. So whenever we baptize someone today, you'll hear us say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his glorious resurrection. And they are sharing with the rest of the world that now they identify as a follower of Jesus Christ. So we will have a great time after church today. It won't be a long time, but we'll you know spend a few minutes just celebrating this time, and I pray that all, our whole church will stick around for that. So let me ask you, how many of you have the experience of getting into a new show that has been recommended to you by a friend, and a few episodes into it, you're bored to tears, and you're thinking, am I missing something? What, what is, am I dumb? And, and you ask, does the show get any better? Is it this bad, you know, the way it is these few episodes in? Or, or maybe you, you wonder how the storyline or movie can possibly end well. You're like, this is so good. How are they going to end this show? You know, what are the writers going to do? I, I know they'll pull it all back around in the end, but I, I want it all to make sense. I think the show lost permanently scarred me from good endings some of you are laughing because you may have watched that show and if you haven't I'm sorry I'm going to ruin a little bit of the ending for you this morning I kept thinking one day the writers of this show are going to pull it all together and it's all going to make sense and so my wife and I watched this when we were newlyweds this was before streaming and all of this so we watched it week by week by week, waiting on each episode, like hanging on, you know, the, the corners of our seat. And the writers did such a good job of making you come back week after week to watch this. They would answer one question and then raise two or three more. And you're like, oh, my mind is blown. Then we would go out to eat with friends who were watching the show. And we would sit around and talk about it. And then what they did was even more genius is that they would release commercials throughout the week dealing with the show to make you even more like mysterious about it and you have to go online and watch the commercials you're like whoa this show is amazing but by the end after faithfully watching this show for six years and the last episode ended i was like what i feel more lost now than i did when the show started you know is that what the writers intended what is, is like a joke on the audience. Like, are we supposed to be lost? You know, it, was that the meaning of the title of the show? It was just, ugh. And so there, we're going to look at a psalm today in Psalm 88. And there are a number of psalms like this one in the Bible where you find yourself in the middle of a bad story like loss. And you have no idea how it's going to turn out and you say can it possibly turn out well you ask yourself as you are in this deep dark time in life you ask will life ever get better 
Will it ever get better? If you are new and and just joining us, we are in week four of our series on Psalms. And maybe you feel that in your life. Is this a dark chapter of my life that is ever going to end? Or maybe life is good for you right now, but you see the dark clouds on the horizon and you think, oh, I just want to get through this. Well, Psalm 88, as we read this here in just a few moments, we're going to see the psalmist pour out their heart. And maybe your life resonates with where the psalmist is as they are writing these words. Let's start reading together. It says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand." You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves, Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a whore to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread my hands to you. Skip down to verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your tears. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The end. The end of the psalm. What? What is the psalmist trying to tell us through this like despair of a psalm? You know, is it, you have to think, is there like a part that's missing? Like a part at the end that says, I'm now happy. Life's all good now. Isn't that how church is supposed to be? How can one of the Psalms chosen to be in God's perfect word end like that? God chose to include that Psalm in the Bible. Why? Because if we are true with ourselves, that is the way our lives feel like at times, right? We think, man, that is the way my life is right now. We don't know the specific condition the psalmist is in, but what we can tell from his writing, there are several things that it involves. It involves personal betrayal. He says, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a whore to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. 
mean, have you experienced that? Maybe you're just like this psalmist. We don't know what happened here. A spouse has turned their back on them. Maybe you were torpedoed at work or backstabbed by a best friend or you have conflict with in-laws. Or maybe it's not so much betrayal as it is neglect. Your kids don't call. Your spouse is cold and indifferent. We also see here in the psalm that we know he has chronic pain. From my youth, I have suffered. You know, we like to think of pain as having an ending point in sight. But what happens when there is no ending point? He says, I am in the darkest of depths. Ever had the experience of being in total darkness, lost in the woods? When we were in Israel uh, back in February, we had the opportunity to hike through Hezekiah's tunnel, which is in the old city of David. In 700 BC, they dug out of the rock a tunnel to get out of the city, and the, a spring goes through the tunnel, and it you know, came knee to, to waist deep. If you shut off your light, utter darkness. I fortunately had the light on my cell phone because there are points in that tunnel I'm walking like this, and if I did not have that light, I would have taken off my head because of how you know, low that tunnel was. Utter darkness. If you've ever been in a cave, you'll understand what utter darkness is. You know, I read one time that somebody gets, if, if someone gets buried alive in an avalanche, sometimes they don't know which way to start digging. They have been turned around so much with so much pressure on them from every direction, they don't know which way is up. That's terrifying. But sometimes that's the way our life feels like. Everywhere we turn, every relationship feels like darkness. I think that's what the psalmist is trying to tell us here. This is how he feels, and he summarizes it in verse 15. I am helpless. I'm helpless. Despair means not only am I in pain now, I have no hope that it will ever get better. This guy has passed the question, will life get any better? And he's resolved that it will not. And he ends the psalm. And we all sit here, as we did when I finished reading, saying, what in the world? What is the deal with this psalm? Well, fortunately, the entire book of psalms does not end there. The very next psalm, in Psalm 89, it starts with this. It says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Skip down to verse 8. O Lord of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you will rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, rise you still them. Moving down to verse 21. So that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. How are these two psalms next to each other in the book? 
in the editing room did someone say, oh, these psalms are just bipolar. Let's just stick them together in the psalms right next to each other. You know, the, the book of Psalms is written in part to present you really with the enigma of the Christian life because you go through chapters of your life and sometimes they're long chapters that feel like Psalms 88. You feel like, is this ever going to end? Where can I turn? And the fact that Psalms like this one are here to show us that you can be honest with God during those chapters of your life. Yet they do not invalidate the steadfast love and faithfulness that we can celebrate in God in verse or chapter 89. So here is what we can be assured in Psalm 89. When we're struggling through Psalm 88 and our life feels like it's over, here's what we can remember from Psalm 89. God's steadfast love rules over everything in your life. He rules, it says, the raging sea, which represents life's most chaotic elements. The cancer cell, the unexpected job loss, the random accident. God rules and has control over that. He stands guard at the north, the south. He'll make whatever comes as he says in another part of the verse, from Mount Tabor in the east and Mount Hermon in the west, praise his name. Meaning that there is no power coming from any direction that will not turn into his plan for your life that will end in the praise of his name. Man, that's powerful. Nothing falls outside of God's control, which through his steadfast love and faithfulness are working together good purposes he has for his people. He will not break his covenant with you. He will not take back a single word that he said. Take that to the bank. His steadfast love rules over everything in your life. Number two, God's steadfast love is not always immediately apparent to us. In Psalm, the psalmist in 88 can't see any evidence of God's steadfast love. Even in Psalm 89, he says in verse 46, How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? We have a tendency to judge God's love for us by the situation that we're in in the present. If things are good, we think, well, I must be walking in God's love and favor when life's going good. And sometimes we're willing to put up with the pain of the present if we can see clear evidence of how God is working through that pain. You know, I got wrongfully fired from this job, but it led to a better job over here, so it was all good. God worked it all out. And sometimes that happened, but that logic can work against us because sometimes we can't see the evidence of God's good work in our life. But God is working through us. And we cry out in bewilderment like this psalmist with, How long, O Lord? How long? You can't always see it. Sometimes you may never see it in this life. And if your faith depends on seeing the resolution in this life, then I'll tell you, your faith will never make it. Your crisis of faith 
walking around waiting to happen. So we know that God's steadfast love is not always immediately apparent to us. But third, we know that God's steadfast love shapes the glorious conclusion of his plan. The great author Eugene Peterson wrote a book on Psalms in which he points out the laments of Psalm 88. And these laments are the predominant category of Psalms. And he says, how long, O Lord? But the last five Psalms, he points out, are all praise. Psalms 146 to 150, all of them are praise. No lamentations, no complaints, just praise. Let me read Psalm 52 here as he concludes this whole book. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Nothing but praise. And Peterson's conclusion was that even in the shape of the book of Psalms has a meaning. And his conclusion was all prayer prayed long enough eventually turns into praise. So why put Psalm 88 in there without putting some kind of praise mixed in it? Because sometimes your life on earth feels like and ends in a Psalm 88. But the story of what God is doing with you and his people, it ends in total, unfiltered praise. If we are Christians, if we are followers of Christ, that is the way life ends. In total, unfiltered praise. All Psalm 88's praised long enough eventually turn in to praise. It may not be until eternity when God wipes away every tear from your eye. On that glorious day in which, in the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, when he says, all sad things become untrue, that you will see it happen. Paul compares the experience of a mother giving birth, pain, that is then turned into joy. That is the way Paul explains this life. There is coming a time, Paul says, when the pain of this earth will seem strangely insignificant in the light of the glory God brought about in us and through us. So already you can see how God used some of the pain in your life for good. You can look back and say, you know, the divorce taught you to depend on God. That death of a loved one refocused your faith. The loss of a job woke you up and out of a life of materialism. If right now, with only limited distance and perspective, you can already see how God has a good purpose in your pain, in your life, don't you think with even more wisdom and more perspective we shall see his good reason for all of it one day? When we get to heaven, absolutely yes. All Psalms 88 prayed long enough will turn into praise. So we see 
Number three, God's steadfast love shapes the glorious conclusion of his plan. The number four, we behold God's steadfast love for us in the rejection of his anointed one. In the middle of Psalm 89, there's a strange little you know, segment here. God's steadfast love shapes the glorious conclusion of his plan. Let's read it here, verse 38. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruin. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. What is the psalmist talking about here? This is kind of a a, a strange passage here. Well, the Hebrew word for your anointed in that passage is Messiah or Christ. This is a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. You've heard me say many times the Old Testament. There are hundreds of prophecies pointing back to the old to Christ in the Old Testament. Look at this description again. He says, "You have rejected him, renounced your covenant with him and poured out your wrath on him." What did Jesus do upon the cross? He took upon himself God's wrath that was due to us. Verse 40, you breached his walls. If you remember, while Christ was on the cross, a spear was driven through the walls of his heart and blood and water flowed out. Verse 41, all who pass by and plunder him. If you remember what was happening at the foot of the cross, the soldiers divided up and gambled on his garments. Verse 45 of the psalm, he was covered with shame. What happened to Christ? They spit on him. They defiled his crown in the dust. They put a crown of thorns on him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. Jesus was rejected in our place so that we would never have to be. Martin Luther The great theologian regarded Jesus' cry from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the greatest words in all of Scripture. Because in them we see that God faced abandonment in our place so that we would never, not in any circumstance, have to fear that God would ever abandon us. Why? Because God did that to Christ. In our place on the cross. He walked through Psalm 88 so we would never have to. So when I feel like God has forsaken me, I am wrong. I have to be. If Jesus didn't abandon me in the dark hours of the cross, why would he leave me now? When he had a chance to walk away from paying my sin's debt and he still willingly went to the cross, why would he abandon us? Now, if he suffered the full penalty for my sin, can anything in my life now be considered judgment? No. He took all judgment upon himself. Because I have received Jesus, there is no more wrath left for me. Suffering now is not God's anger on me. 
My suffering now is not God's judgment on me. It is part of his good salvation process in my life as we work out and become more conformed to the image of Christ. Even in suffering in the hands of an ever-loving, omnipotent God, it becomes a surgical tool for God's purposes in our life. So we see, we behold God's steadfast love for us in the rejection of the anointed one. We have that confidence that because Christ was rejected on our behalf, we know that God will never reject us. Number five, in the midst of pain, we experience God's steadfast love in his steadfast presence with us. Verse 15, happy are those who walk in the light of your face. I love how David says in Psalm 3, he talks about his problems. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. But you, our Lord, are a shield about me. It is one thing to have a shield in front of you. It's another thing to have a shield all around you. You can't touch me from the top, from the bottom, from the front, from the back, from the left, to the right. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. It's like a father who looks on compassion with his heartbroken child and tells them and gently lifts up their head and says, do not be afraid. I will not allow anything to happen to you. I'm never leaving your side. I'm going to make everything okay. You see, when we cannot understand and cannot grasp his plan, we cling to his presence. When I cannot grasp his plan, I cling to his presence. Sometimes we live in Psalm 88, but we do so with the principles of hope from Psalm 89. What do you do when you feel like life will never get better? You pray Psalm 88 to God. In fact, do you want to jumpstart your prayer life? Try writing your own psalms. Writing your own psalms. In fact, do you know what will get you going? Be honest, you aren't going to, to scare God away with your anger, with your tears. Why? Because God welcomes them. He wants to hear your heart. You are saying, God, somehow I think your love is deeper than all of this. Pray Psalms 88 out of the depth of your heart. And read Psalm 89. We're going to look at several statements that I want us to remember. Let's stand up this morning as we finish out our time here together. And I'm going to read, I want you all to read this statement with me. We're going to go ahead and put it up on the screen. Let's read this together. I choose not to fear. God is with me. I choose not to doubt. God is in control. I choose not to despair. God is good. Do you believe that? Man, take that with you this week. People say, where is the faith in Psalm 88? 
It is in the fact that it is recorded in the Psalms the way that it is, showing that even in our darkest hour, God is transforming the story of our life into total praise. So let's sing together again this song that Pastor Jay led us in this morning. As we fight, we're going to do what? We're going to fight on our knees, singing praises to him. The battle belongs to the Lord.